0: To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Is oh, yeah. it that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it, and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, so, we got a new Eastman's Elevated podcast for you. So today we have a guest that uh, comes all the way from the other side of the world in Australia. His name is Craig Hales. So I met Craig about six months ago or so, and uh, I just always really enjoyed our conversations and our correspondence um, he's just a real intelligent guy that that has a passion for bow hunting and he he has a passion for bow hunting his homeland there in Australia and he also just loves to travel to the states and and take on the adventure out here out west and so he's been out hunting elk three different times he came out this year to New Mexico just had a great hunt out there and and he's got an ibex tag for later down in New Mexico so he's going to be returning back but uh, just a great approach to hunting we talk about his New Mexico hunt last lessons he learned, um, how he'd go about the hunt, you know, mistakes he made, things he did right. Uh, and then we talk about all oh, different hunts around the States and, and, uh, we talk about what hunting means to us. And then we get into hunting Australia. We, we talk about all the different species he has there. We talk about the brown snakes, which really freaked me out. The, the different spiders he has and different creepy crawlies that can get you out there, different challenges. We talk about, his uh, buffalo that he has out there, and in Australia is just this this wild place with some of the the most vast backlands uh, anywhere in the world, you know. So it was a really cool conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you guys are gonna enjoy it too. Craig does a great job on here. Uh, today's sponsor is Everly Stock Packs. Um, so I got a chance to meet Glenn Eberly last summer and just a really interesting guy that's always working on bettering his design of his packs and, and uh, the function of his packs and uh, just just a super guy in the industry. I sure am glad I met him. I toured the factory they have there, which is just this, this great facility. You know, we looked at his warranty department. There's hardly a pack sitting in there, you know, as, as he has... One of the guys that works full-time building the packs you know, will step in and do a little warranty work here and there, but he hardly has any returns or any warranty work just due to the quality that he builds these packs. So um, they're really high quality. I've been using the mainframe with the spike duffel on it. Comes in about four pounds. Real minimalist setup. Uh, Used it this year on my Idaho deer hunt and then my Montana elk hunt and uh, worked great for both of those and for packing those critters out. Um, I'm also looking into... They've got their, um, I believe it's called the Blue Widow pack. Um, I want to look into using that for uh, next season or trying it out. It comes in a little bit heavier, but it has more cubic inches and looks like it packs the weight really well. But if you guys are uh, looking for a new pack, make sure to check out Eberly Stock and thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm. this is my second podcast. I'm getting ready to go out, so I'm getting this one out a week in advance um, so I can take off and go play hooky a little bit Uh, I get to go do another hunt for Montana mule deer just really looking forward to it so going out with all my family just the guys that I grew up hunting with since I was 10 years old and I'll be chasing them with a bow out there those guys will have a rifle but uh, I'm just going to cover some miles and and help them out as much as I can Uh, hopefully everybody uh, gets some chances at some good bucks but um, yeah I'm going to go really hard and cover a bunch of miles and see if I can't uh, catch up with one of those next level bucks so I'm just side I, I got to get out this podcast and, and, uh, have this ready to release. So there's, so I can make sure that I'm still getting one out per week to you guys. And, and, uh, while I'm out there, I'll definitely be, uh, trying to record one with those guys. And then, um, right after that, I fly to Ohio for a whitetail hunt. So, um, just better than I deserve for sure just a lot of hunting time this season I'm just enjoying things so take care of everything for the business Uh, make sure the podcast is taken care of and and uh I'm gonna skip out of here for a handful of days and go do a little hunting so I'm pumped um so uh over there at Eastman's uh we got that gear guide coming up make sure to check out that uh if you're into any of the logo gear like I say Eastman's has just done a great job with the logo gear hats t-shirts sweatshirts Um, there's books, DVDs in there. So if you're shopping for a hunter, make sure to check out that gear guide in an upcoming issue, uh, Eastman's hunting journal. And, uh, boy with that, just, um, I know Dan Bacar and, uh, Guy Eastman, they're getting ready to take off to, uh uh someplace uh one of the stands, I'm I'm gonna pronounce it wrong, but to hunt uh the uh Ibex and Marco Polo sheep. That is so cool. It's gonna be such an awesome adventure for those guys. So as soon as they get back, I'm gonna run over to the office and we're gonna get one recorded with them and and uh, try to capture their adventure for you guys to listen to. So that's really cool. Looking forward to that. Uh saw Scott Reekers killed a bull the other day. Guy killed a bull um, Dan picard has been hunting like a madman. I know he's put down quite a few species, so I want to hook up with him and and do a podcast as well. But uh, just fun time of year. I want to get back over to the office, catch up to all those guys, and and listen to all the hunting stories from this season. So um, it's just been, been great with a couple more hunts to go here and um, maybe a late one for coos deer in January. But I've been talking way too long. Let's get this thing rolling. Craig Hale, super interesting guy, super interesting conversation. Uh, Eastman's elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here with Craig Hales. Uh, Craig's from Australia, and and, uh, me and Craig met through social media, and we've been talking back and forth, and and Craig had some tags here in the States this year, and so he's traveled over here and done some monster hunts, so we thought we'd get him on and do a podcast real quick. Craig, how are you?
1: I'm good, Brian. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, Man, I sure am happy I met you. We sure have had some good conversations, and it looks like you had a heck of an adventure there in New Mexico.
1: Yeah, it was good. It's, uh, it's crazy how small the world is. Just, uh, you know, a couple of messages here, there, and everyone on Instagram, and, you know, the next event we're catching up. It's, it's unreal, but, yeah, New Mexico was awesome. We had a had a blast there.
0: Yeah, so you went there, you had an elk tag there, and originally you had an elk tag there, and then you also drew one in Montana, and as time went on, it seemed like you wanted to commit to that New Mexico tag and kind of focus on that one.
1: Yeah, I did. It's... Um, it, there's a, a bit of a story behind it, really, but um, two of my buddies ended up drawing in New Mexico as well, and uh, I didn't draw, but I had the opportunity to get some landowner tags, um, you know, at a pretty good rate that I couldn't knock back, and I, I drew the, the Montana breaks tag as well, or one of, and uh, as sort of things progressed, you know, I was watching the drought up there and, and those kind of things, and, and it really came down to a time management thing that I just couldn't make it work properly from here because I wanted to do both. 110 percent so the big decision come to the end there was just to, to head down with the guys make it a, a good boys trip down to new mexico and and uh you know looking forward i'm glad i went that way
0: yeah well you got to have enough time on these hunts and especially coming across the world like how long was your flight from australia
1: so sydney to la is about 14 hours and then pretty much wherever you're going from la so i think it's another hour and a half two hour flight to uh, Albuquerque we flew into, but if we went up to Montana it's uh you know it's three and a half four hours heading up there,
0: yeah, that's gnarly on a plane, <laughs> yeah, it's big, <laughs> <laughs> but wild, so yeah, you committed to the New Mexico so you could give that everything you had, and you went down there, and looks like uh one of your buddies scored on a really nice six down there,
1: yeah, so ben uh Ben McCulloch, he, he's actually the one that originally got me. Uh, fixated on elk actually back in sort of 2012, 2013 I think was our first trip together and uh, you know he's a man that uh, I look up to from the hunting world back here he's uh, he's full of patience and you know just every everywhere he goes he, he seems to find the big ones and uh, he'd done not many know but he did I think three or four trips, he shot a, a really good bull the first trip he went to Montana back in 2011 I think it was went a couple of times, uh, 13 and 14 with myself, passed up i don't know how many balls and he's just always waiting for that one that he wants to, to wants to get and, and he was rewarded this trip he i think it i think it was high 360s i think it went uh, the mass on that thing was unbelievable so yeah um, it made our trip that was for sure oh
0: that's as good as they get good for him um yeah so you've been doing it for a few years now and coming over with him um man it sounds like he hunts hard and goes for it and finally rewarded there
1: yeah, there's just a good group of us that, um, you know, honestly, just, just love getting over there and chasing the elk. I, will be honest, I haven't got the mule deer fix yet. It's, it's coming slowly. Every time I listen to your podcast and, and a few others, you know, I think it's growing on me, but elk have just got me. I know they're just big and noisy. It uh, <laughs> it gets us going. So yeah, but 13 or 14, I did, uh, Montana hunts, um, uh, took just smaller bulls, both trips there. And that was awesome. That was sort of, um, guided private land stuff and then i drew a a healer tag last year early season and um, so that was public land and uh did the guided deal for the first six days and then we had a, the rest of the hunt 14 day tag i think it was and uh and we killed a bull on the on the 13th day just me and two buddies two two boys that were filming me so that was a, that was an epic trip and then yeah couldn't help myself get back there again this year
0: Oh man, good for you. Yeah, congratulations on that bowl last year. I don't think I knew that, that you were successful on that tag, um, last yeah, year, yep. but man, yeah, way to go. That isn't an easy and, and really tough when you're coming from a different place. You know, it, it's, it's tough. Like I know when I'm looking at a place like Alaska or looking at Hawaii and some, some place that I'm not familiar with, it's so hard to read Google Earth or, or read topography and, and what the elk like and what they don't. And all that kind of comes second nature to us guys that live out here out west. But, man, coming from there, it's got to be all different when you get out here.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I, I really got caught out in the unit this year. Um, I was I was told, you know, I was given some good in Intel from a few of the guys over there, and I got a buddy in New Mexico, and uh, you know he was sort of telling me a little bit about the unit, and I jumped on Google Earth and, and all the mapping stuff that you can do, and uh, it was nothing. It was nothing. like have <laughs> experienced. It, it looked flat on the. It looked literally looked flat on the mapping, and, and it wasn't until I got there it it was it was crazy country. It wasn't extremely, you know, we're not talking high Wyoming, Colorado stuff, but just the sheer uh, the flip flop in the in the in the lay of the land was is kind of really hard to get your head around it was kind of i guess it was kind of high desert sort of with the unit I was in so it um yeah I got caught out I'm completely honest I got caught out so but um that's that's why we utilize the the outfitters and that over there um we're slowly or well, myself personally we're starting to get a pretty good idea in the elk, but you know the last few years we've definitely utilized the guy because we just don't have the time to. To get over and scout, obviously that's just impossible. So, you know, all that kind of goes out the window and it's that much money and time to get over there, it's very hard to do it on your own back.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that it looked like that New Mexico country you were hunting, there um like there wasn't any giant two thousand peaks in there, or maybe there was, but it looked like it was just a lot of coolies and canyons. Uh, thick brush in places or thick cedars, um, things of that nature. Is that kind of how it was? Like a lot of topography, but it was like small topography where uh, little canyons and coolies that would tie into bigger draws and that. Is that kind of how it was?
1: Yeah, that's perfect. That that That's exactly what it was. And um and that's why I think I had trouble sort of explaining it to people what it was, because it didn't have those huge 2,000, 3,000 foot peaks, you know what I mean? It didn't have that rise. But It did in the the main sort of part of the unit, but, yeah, everything that came off it. But, you know, to find the elk in that country was just – it was nearly impossible at at times. And obviously the elk density in this unit, um, you know, is not not massive. So there's not – Hundreds and thousands of elk running around, the, running around the unit. But the ones that are in there, you can definitely find some giants in there. So that that was a little bit hard to get my head around, and it, it honestly took me probably half the hunt to to sort of starting to work them out. And um, probably the biggest thing I didn't realize is they were there the whole time. It was just a matter of being strategic enough to to get your head around where they were actually bedding up and those kind of things. And I had it right the first time, but I just didn't back myself. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh, uh, you, you knew where they were and didn't act on it until later,
1: kind of thing. Um, you know, the very first morning, we, I glassed, uh, one of the bulls that I was chasing for the more or less the whole hunt. I glassed him up the very first morning and I ended up making a play on him the second last evening in exactly the same spot.
0: Oh, he was working it the whole time. He, he was, was, he was yep. just running a tight program, right? Where he was put away early and he came out late and tough to catch in that country because there's so many folds and rolls. And so he just stayed hidden in there. And yeah, you you uh, made a play on him the last day and he was in there for the entire hunt. How wild.
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, you can take it both ways. You can take it as frustrating and, <laughs> and take it as an epic adventure. But, um, you know, and... I mentioned it before before we um we got on you know it was i had i was very fortunate enough to have some help for the first few- you know a few days I think the first six days and um friends of friends sort of thing and you know they they sort of put me up and and really helped me out showed me around the unit and had their spot so we kind of spot jumped a fair bit we didn't really concentrate on you know one particular spot one particular bull, so it wasn't until uh the second half of the hunt where I was on my own I really concentrated on like I think this is where my best chance of shooting a good ball is 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 back up where i seen that one the very first morning and that's sort of how that plan come about and i mean i had plenty of opportunities to you know i think i passed you know six or seven balls throughout the trip um you know just stuff that you know that I, I had shot bigger before and and let's be honest you know we're coming from this far away we we are going over to shoot a trophy so um you know going over there I i had a plan in mind was to to shoot the biggest one i could find sort of thing and yeah it's pretty hard when you find a really good one the first morning you certainly set some expectations so
0: yeah you're trying uh, to measure everything up to that one well looking for a yeah. good mature six point that's um or bigger but uh yeah that's the way to do it um especially after you get a couple under your belt and it's just yeah. the the ultimate challenge to try to harvest one of those mature ones and i i know what you're talking about in that type of country it seems like there's there's so much of it or it's so vast and there is so many coulees and canyons and and draws and ravines and cover and things of that nature that it's kind of tough to pinpoint them in there like they can be anywhere there's so much elk habitat in there at least at least the country that I've hunted that seems similar to that and so you really gotta like on a on a big mountain with the 2,000 foot peaks where they go up two to 4,000 feet or whatever it is you can kind of tell where the elk should be living you know on the south sides big feeding features where their cover is in that rolling country it seems like it's so vast and it's so immense there's so much of it that they can be anywhere through Throughout it, and you kind of gotta work your way through it, covering country and finding, you know, which little pockets those elk like in there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the the big thing that I sort of had trouble with is that if if they went north off the the ridge they'll they'll they so bedding betting up on, if they went north, uh, you couldn't see them. If they went south, you couldn't see them. But if they came west, you could see them. But from where the glassing point was to actually get a look into the spot they were betting up in. You could only see one direction they're coming out. So you know, if you didn't see them, they're like, oh, well, they're out, they've gone, or you didn't, you weren't sure where they'd gone. And, and I think that more came back to my probably a little bit of inexperience, or a lot of the inexperience in that kind of country. Um, I think that's what sort of you know, knowing what I know now, I think I could get it done, you know, you know, a lot quicker, sort of thing.
0: How would you play it different? Would you be more aggressive and go in after them in that stuff when they're disappearing in that thick stuff and um you know what would you change up or what would you do different
1: i think i'd be a, a touch more aggressive but i think at the same time i'd probably stick to the one area a lot more i wouldn't sort of you know jump around the unit as much as we did um you know i sort of found the ball that i think that i thought i wanted to, to take i thought i think i should have just stuck on him you know what i mean and um i wasn't used to the the other hunting pressure as well that that really threw a spanner in the works for me because i just I hadn't experienced that before so coming from two private land hunts you know in my first elk hunting days and then last year was in the healer wilderness where i think we've seen one other hunter for 14 days coming to a unit where you're watching four wheelers and buggies in that drive around all day you know that was really hard to get my head around so for us here In Australia, if we had, if we were hunting an area that had that kind of pressure, you wouldn't see an animal for for 10 miles, so to speak. So, I kind of think I was thinking that the elk would be pushed completely out of the area, but the whole time they're actually sitting there. So I think I would have been a lot more consistent on the on the little ridge that I was I was making a play on.
0: Oh gotcha. Yeah, hunting pressure's a a real deal on uh these public lands on some of these tags and and you're right those those elk just they find the pockets of country where the hunting fresh hunting pressure is not. You know, they they find just those little pockets and those little folds and it seems like they either get pressured to them or they find them naturally and then that's where those elk are and they also tighten up their program with pressure. They seem to be, you know, they're they have their their senses are sharper they'll pick you out better they'll they'll look for movement they'll look for predators they know hunters are in there looking for them and they also tighten up their programs where they put away earlier they don't call as much and they come out later did you did you see that effect from the pressure
1: yeah that was spot on i that was more or less you know i think you nearly told the story for me it was Exactly that. It was, they found these little spots that I didn't believe they would sort of hold in. I'm like, it's not big enough or um, it's too gnarly for them to go up there sort of thing. But they were they were going up onto this little null, um, this little peak which had a flat top on it, you know, just a tree-covered flat top and it was more or less bluff cliffs around the outside of it. But they were getting up there more or less every morning. But I, I only got to see that at the end of the hunt. It was the early in the hunt they were doing that. But from the angles, I couldn't actually see them doing it. Um, So it was all, you know, it was a really big learning curve, but the spots they were getting into was, I'm like, I didn't think elk could even go into there, but they did. And I'm assuming it was the hunting pressure that was making them do that. And, you know, they were only bugling, you know, very first thing in the morning. It was quite hot. It was, I think it got up to like 90, 92 degrees there at one point uh, for a couple of days in a row. So it was still very, very warm. Um, the wind was – there was quite a bit of wind as well. So the, I think there was a lot of these factors that probably didn't allow them to, to really get stuck into it. So, um, you know, but same thing again. They were up last half an hour of light. You know, they they just start making their move and they were still up high. So if you weren't up there with them, which looking back now, that's what I should have been doing. I should have been sitting up there um, off their bedding areas more than sort of waiting and glassing, waiting to see them. Um, so I think, yeah, a couple of little plays that I, I think I'd change.
0: Oh man. Um well it, it and it's so good you've been changing it up, hunting Montana and then hunting the wilderness last year and then hunting this spot. Like I really think like hunting different spots and different terrain and, and different critters for that matter is what, what makes you a better hunter is being able to adapt, evolve and, and, and try and overcome. And it sounds like you had a good experience and you, you passed some bulls in there and you were after yeah, you were after a couple of good ones, it looked like. Um, just just couldn't get a good arrow in them, huh?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had uh, I actually changed up a spot, so I, I got shown a spot uh, really early in the piece and it was more country, I guess, I was familiar with. It was more that uh, pine, you know, juniper, sort of, you know, more into the hill kind of um, mountain country, sort of a little bit similar to the wilderness I was in last year and it was on the opposite side of the unit, so I had a look at it and I went back into there later in the hunt and... I actually had a a really good mature bull mid 350 class. I'm guessing. Um, I actually had him twice under 30 yards and I, I couldn't get a shot through the brush. And, um, you know, for, for someone that hasn't had a lot of, you know, time with elk calling and stuff like that, I was on my own and, and I actually got two bulls to come in and fight in front of me just for my bugling and my calling sequence. So I was pretty happy with myself there. And, you know, as much as I didn't get a harvest, I mean, that was, That was an experience for me for the trip, you know, to watch them guys come in front of me and start fighting from something I started, Um, you know, that was a good tick off the list for me.
0: I'd say. I, I always say when I get a good stock or a close encounter like that and, you know, Half the time I, I've uh, driven halfway across the country, I've taken off work, you're paying for gas, and you get over there and you get one of those thrilling close encounters, you know, and on, on whether it's an elk or mule deer, and I always say, man, that was worth the price of admission, you know, that that was worth all the money, all the gas I put, the time off work, time away, like just having that, that close thrilling encounter, you know, that that's why we're out there.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, we we love the whole thing. It's a it's a package deal for us, you know. For me to be over there traveling with, you know, four or five buddies, and you know, the plane trip and the motels and the road trip, and and then getting down there and hunting, let alone you know even harvesting something, that's just you know that's icing on the cake. But everything else that goes in and the laughs, and eventually you have. So, um, you know, it, it's it's what we do it for, and you know, it's very easy for us, no matter where we go, to spend. That kind of money so I think once we pay the money once it's done I never think about it again you know I'm just I'm just charging ready for the hunt I, I really enjoy it. It, it it keeps me going sort of back home and my wife and family are very very support, supportive as well so I've got two little ones and I know it's tough on her but she knows how much I love it so you know it's, uh, it's good when everyone's behind you like that
0: Oh man, yeah, that's it. Yeah, having the support for, from your family is just everything, you know, to, to be able to go and have a clear mind and, and go have fun. And, and like you say, for, for us guys, it's the adventure. It's traveling around to a different place. Um, yeah, you know, hunting different species and, and, uh, like immersing yourself in the hunt. It just seems to wash away everything else and it, it almost feels like what we were meant here to do when you're just immersed in trying to kill that bull day in, day out, waking up early, staying up late. What's my next move? Where am I going to go tomorrow? And then you, and then you get back to camp and you second guess that and go, Oh, maybe I won't go in there. I'll go in here. <laughs> or maybe, a, you know, I, I go back and forth half the night, you know, and finally I'll make my decision and then I'll wake up in the morning and change again. You know, you're, you're just always <laughs> trying to outthink them, you know, and it's such a chess game and it, you know, and it, and they're going to beat you a lot of the times and and you're gonna make you know you can't make the right call all the time of where to go but boy you sure try hard
1: oh definitely you know it's it's funny i look back at the some of the the mind games i was playing myself and you know and and i'll be honest you know mine wasn't a huge uh physical hunt it was definitely more of a mentally um frustrating hunt was probably more the way to put it um because because you knew they were there and you could you could see them and things like that and yeah, you know, some of the conversations I had in my own head, I, I just look back and laugh now. I, I think I can't believe I was thinking that, but uh, you know, that, that's what that's what's fun about it. So, you know, and it wasn't until I, I went and picked up my buddy that shot that big bull over in the in the wilderness. I went and picked him up with two days to go, and I said, "Buddy, can you come and give me a hand?" He's like, "Yeah, for sure." And I got him on the sat phone, and I went and picked him up, and he came back, and he just he just looked at me, goes, "Is that where you watched him?" And I'm like yeah he's like why aren't you up there i'm like i just needed someone to say that to me so off we went and that was the second last night and the bull i'd been chasing for more or less the whole hunt you know i got into 20 yards from him and could only see his top third and uh and i let him walk so you know it's a hard thing to do but where we were you know a a second grade shot wasn't wasn't worthy and it wasn't worthy to him as well so you know these things happen but you know epic epic experience it was great
0: man good for you it's it's tough to make that right decision, um, but but you just those balls are so big that you just gotta put a perfect arrow in them. Or, and, and like you say, it, the experience isn't worth ruining it by trying to trying to shoot a second rate shot. Um, good for you. Yeah, that's. Um, that's good willpower but you're right these hunts um you know I think a lot of them even the the tough physical ones it seems like they're all really tough mentally like it's always just a mental struggle to keep yourself up uh, uh, trying to make the right decisions on them, you know and, and then trying to you know the the mental games that you play yourself like even in the final moments of the stock your brain's screaming at you to hurry up and see if he's there instead of what you really need to do is move as slow as you possibly can but it's, it's just wild all the the mental struggles and and mental talks you give yourself and and things you go through on a hunt to keep yourself up you know
1: yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it only gets worse as we get more experience because I think we put too much pressure on ourselves. It continues to grow with us. And, you know, I've kind of, you know, at some point, you know, back home here when, you know, you've harvested quite a few game and it becomes kind of second nature to you. It does become easier, but then I flip and, you know, make some of the other hunts bigger and more challenging. So I think it, it makes up for the ones you take, take easy, but, uh, I th- once again, I think it's all part and parcel of, you know, why we do it. You know, it's, we're forever trying to grow within ourselves and, um, you know, physically, you know, we're, we're all training or trying to train and find the time. And then mentally, well, it just all comes with as well. And I think you can take that back to the training paddock, so to speak. You know, it's, it's pushing those extra limits that, you know, gets you that little bit fitter that, you know, hopefully will make you succeed later on.
0: Oh, isn't that the truth? Well, and um, you're so right. Like once you harvest a few and you can relax, like it seems like the more you want it, the harder it is to achieve it, yeah. you know, like if you just relax and go with it and, you you know, and we always enjoy the experience. But if I can just relax and enjoy the experience, immerse myself in it and I'm making plays and it's always good to get a couple close encounters under your belt because then you start to get comfortable with being in boa range and getting that chance and that opportunity and and more football focused on you making the right moves more so than that nervous energy it seems like
1: oh definitely i mean i had this year to be honest this year I, was, I haven't been out as much and and here in australia we don't really have seasons so we can hunt you know more or less all year round just depending on what species we're going to chase so um you know there was there was a good six month break there just due to work and family and things like that that uh, i didn't get out and the weekend that i did get out uh, was a couple months before we we came over this year and I, it felt so foreign to me you know something that I do all the time but just having those few months off and uh, hadn't been around game and that kind of stuff you know I, I felt like I was the noisiest stalker I've ever been I felt like everybody everything was seeing me I thought every time I pulled up my binoculars I couldn't find anything so I'm like I am really out of my element here but it was purely a confidence thing you know you found your first animal you had your first stalk and it just all came back um, so I think everybody goes through it.
0: Yeah, well, and it takes a little while, like you're saying, and, and us over here having seasons, you know, we'll have a break like that, that'll be a few months where we're not hunting. And, uh, it, it seems like it's just like getting back into sync with things. And I also think, like, in that, in, in wilderness or on any hunts, like, um, it takes a couple days before you're in sync with the woods before you're really paying attention to noises that are different you're you're picking up movement like i always think it just takes a couple days to get in sync with things before you're really hunting
1: oh yeah definitely i mean i I, i'll be honest i struggled this year a little bit um i don't know whether it was jet lag or just or what it was but yeah the first few days i I must admit i kind of struggled a little bit and um, physically as well you know you just you felt a little bit puffed and and i think it was just more the flight and the travel and all those kind of stuff but yeah definitely i'm one that i'm with you there i think a few days and you know once you start getting seeing a few animals and you start picking them up in the binos and, and just things like that i think you're it's a confidence builder within yourself and 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 you start getting it comes a little bit more natural that way then
0: yeah well and that's a the confidence you know I've heard you say that a couple times but confidence is so huge in the woods and whether it's confidence and knowing you can make that shot with a sliver of opportunity that's huge walking around the woods knowing you're lethal but having the confidence that you're walking in the right spots your glass in the right spots you're turning up elk confidence is the in the woods is huge and I you know I can kind of rely upon past success and and know that you know I'm looking at the right country and I'm trying I just got to keep going I got to keep covering country and i'll i'll bump into them i'll find them but it's just having that confidence is so huge because the minute you start to lose that you know you're not looking over the next mountain or you maybe don't make that stock because you don't think you can pull it off you know or where i think i can kill almost every animal i see and sometimes to a fault but uh (laughs) you know that confidence is just huge in the mountains
1: oh definitely and i i feed off a lot of other people's confidence as well i think it goes backwards Where, you know, if I'm hunting an area that I'm not very familiar with, but I've got a friend or God or something with me who, you know, has got plenty of experience and is like, look, I know this is what will happen, this is what they'll do. I can feed from that confidence, you know, really, really well. And if you're both sitting there, you know, (laughs) worrying that nothing's going to happen, I'll be honest, I struggle from those ones. But, you know, it was just like I said, when my buddy came over and said, well, let's go up there, you know, the confidence just went through the roof and, and and obviously almost paid off, so it was just you know, repeating the word again, but it was having the confidence, you know, your own decision, someone else gave you that confidence and 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 almost, you know, it almost worked, so uh, it's a huge thing, massive thing.
0: Well, yeah, and I always like um hunting with a partner I love to use everybody's knowledge in the scenario. And so I'm constantly bouncing off ideas, whoever I'm hunting with. And it, you know, even if I'm hunting with my daughter, I'm still asking, so, so what do you think here? You know, I'm, I'm thinking these are our couple options. What do you think about it? You know, and with everybody I hunt, you, you're just always bouncing ideas off each other. And then to kind of let ego go aside and just, you know, be able to, to have a conversation like, well, no, that won't work because I think that wind's going to be pulling over this direction or no, there's a there's a buck above this buck, and if we come down that way, he might pick us out. But if you can kind of break it down with a buddy, I, I I get a lot of confidence from that too. It's just bouncing off ideas, running ideas by buddies, and just having another mind there where where two minds are definitely better than one.
1: Oh, definitely, you know that i i've I've been a you know long time fisherman as well, and you know it's funny how hunting and fishing comes together um you know'cause you're the same thing you you'll pick a stretch of river or or beach or whatever it may be and um I used to do a lot with my dad and you know he was the same he was he knew that he could read water that well and when he said you know this looks really good straight away you know you you're with it and you grew- you grew on that and you know started to picking your own spots to fish and things like that and you know, all of a sudden it, it flourishes then, and, and we've taken the same thing to hunting as well. You know, you just think, like you said, with the wind, especially, you know, when you're trying to plant a stalk, you're thinking, how am I going to get in on that game there? And oh, it's definitely about good good bounce, you know, off someone else, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm the same way. I do a ton of fishing, and there, there's so much. Uh, that correlates between hunting and fishing and and that's a great one of of reading the water reading where those fish are going to lie and it just all comes from experience and it's that same thing wherever you're hunting you know whatever mountain range or foothills or whatever you're hunting like experience in that country and and you just know that you you can kind of read the flow of the land and the the feeding features and and where they might bed at and you know and then you start to dissect roads and trails and it, it just comes from doing it a lot and you you begin to look look at country through this 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 different perspective than than anybody else because you 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 know where those animals should be and I I think reading country is huge and it just all comes from paying attention and experience in country and and trying to transpose landscape where you see elk one day you know you, you you take note of what that looks like and why they like it there and which side the the hills facing and then you try to transpose that information to a different hillside that's you know miles away but looks similar and it's got those same features or that same bold basin or whatever it is but i i th- i do i think that's so important in hunting
1: yeah me too and and i think people especially guides and that i have they probably think i'm driving them insane but i i ask a lot of questions you know and uh, I know that there's not really an answer to a lot of them, but just getting someone's idea of it. It's like, well, why do you, why do you think you, they did that, or you know, what makes them feed over that side of the ridge, or you know, especially when it's areas that you know we really don't have any any idea on, or you know, obviously the game being elk or mule deer or whatever it may be, you know, we, we can't sort of get that experience back here. But you know, it's amazing when you start asking questions and don't have a problem with asking them um most people are you know they're they're open book to you and you know i've found you know all the platforms online and you know podcasts have been a great thing and um you know there's a lot of information out there that can really you know i guess shortcut your success you know it it can break the time down in half i know i know there's a lot for us to do once once you actually get in the field there's still a lot to go but you know with with everything out there and the the amount of information that's shared by yourself and the likes, you know, it it certainly helps us and I think it helps everybody, even if you're experienced or inexperienced. So I think we can all get something from it. It's great.
0: Yeah. Um you're so right as there isn't a right answer, is there? It's just no. it's just one guy's theory on what they're doing and it's like a an educated guess and it comes from experience and watching elk or watching deer or whatever it is but there there is no right answer on a lot of it it's just it's just theories and so you kind of start working up your own theory of what they're doing and then you try to prove that theory right like go okay see i said they were going to be in a drainage and and here they are in this one like this so it you know your theory starts to make sense you know at what time they're coming out in the morning or or what time they're coming out in the evening but coming up with your own theories and then even proving yourself right or wrong you know it's it's both an essential part to to learning country and, and learning the species
1: you get so much out of it by doing it like that too you know instead of sort of saying this is what's going to happen you know by changing that to say i think this is what might happen and let's see what the morning brings you know i think you're probably going to be a little bit easier on yourself as it comes because i don't know how many times you've got out on that ridge you know the sun's peeking over and you got out and you look at you pull the binos up and you're like what is that doing all the way out there you know it's the elk or the deer or the pig or whatever it may be is just in an area that you think you should not be out there, but it is. And, and that just cracks me up every time. You know, you think you got them worked out and they just throw a massive spanner in the works. And you <laughs> think they're still there. They've got their own mind. They'll do their own things. You know, as you said, it's an educated guess and you just hope it lines up with the plan you've put together.
0: Yeah, the minute you think you have it all figured out, they'll do the opposite of it, won't they?
1: Yeah, <laughs> every time. Yeah, every time. That's
0: why we. That's why we're drawn to it. Is it is you know another reason why we're drawn to it is um it is so difficult you know uh you know over here a public land animal even a private land animal for that matter like like any animal it it's just really tough it's a it's a high degree of difficulty and and that's what draws us to it draws us to it and and also you know that you can come over and give it your all and give it two weeks of effort or 20 days of effort and still come home empty-handed like that uh and, and it makes you just want to work harder and, and find that success next time but it's never a given it's so difficult especially with a bow oh, and arrow
1: it does you know and look i'll be honest you know this year it's like you know next year i, I, I might have to have a year off for coming over and you finish the 10 days and it's like I'm already looking into, you know, draw odds and where I can look like at drawing the next tag, you know, and you can't help yourself at the country over there and, you know, credit to the way they run, you know, your guys' public land and that kind of stuff It you know, you are, you know, it's very fortunate to have what you have and, um, you know, hopefully everybody looks after it and, and we sure do appreciate it and do what we can from this end but... Um, you know, to be go over there and and just hunt freely for for as you said, you know, two, three, four weeks and chase game around the mountains. It, I mean, it it it's got us. You know, we 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 love it. So, um, you know, next year's plans are, are already in the book. Hopefully, so depending on what the draw gods do for us.
0: Oh man, you're so right. We have to appreciate what we have here. It it is just so special. Um. Yeah, I I can't take it for granted. It's um what I absolutely love to do and I've been able to find passion in my life through doing it, but you know, it's all through these public lands and being able to, to just draw a tag and go disappear in these vast mountains and, and go have an adventure back there and, and uh unsuccessful for years and years trying to do it with a bow and arrow until I could pay my dues and, and learn those hard lessons and gain that experience to be able to finally start arrowing some nice animals. But man, I we are we're just so fortunate we can cut it loose for adventures out here and and if i remember right you had another tag this year are you still coming back over in january
1: i am i am i've um i've been lucky enough to draw an ibex tag back in new mexico that that state loves me at the moment so um yeah back in 15th of january i think the ho- the hunt opens and i'll just funny enough i've just been listening to one of your podcasts you had a guest on who filmed a couple of hunts so uh it's intimidating it I must admit, you know, I've been, I'm have training hard. So, um, yeah, I've, it was just a bit of a, a last-minute sort of application earlier in the year. I got I got the heads up that, you know, you should have a go at one of them. And so I put in the drawers and, and I, yeah, I managed to, to pull a January tag. So I wasn't too keen on the October tag, I must admit, with rattlesnakes. But, um, you know, the January one I think will suit me. Uh, not so many snakes slithering around. But, uh, no, I'm super pumped. So I'm back over. Um, hopefully catch up with the ATA show before, before the hunt. Hopefully get there a day or two and then, uh, yeah, head down to New Mexico.
0: Oh man, how cool! Yeah, I, I hope to do the ATA as well. So hopefully we can hook up there and,
1: and oh, uh, good.
0: Yeah, meet in person. And we were gonna meet in person this year with the Montana tag, but just didn't work out. But we will hear one of these times. But man, how awesome! Good for you. I have always wanted to do that that ibex hunt. I I put in for it for a few years now, and and uh, haven't drawn it yet. My day's coming. But those things just look awesome. They're a goat with fifty inch horns that just live on on near vertical slopes. Like I there's a Saying that an ibex can climb the the uh, spackle on your drywall, like they can climb up a ninety <laughs> degree slope, like they live in just steep, gnarly country, and I I think it's going to be climbing and hiking up in those rocks every day, and then. You know the the bow success is low, and I've heard they're really tough to kill with a bow and arrow. Um, which, which just intrigues me all that much more. It yeah. just looks like <laughs> such an awesome experience. And uh, yeah, uh, good for you, drawing the tag. I can't wait to hear how your hunt goes. But I know you're preparing and and uh, uh, a really good bow hunter too. You're going to have a great experience there, and it sounds like you're going to get a challenge though for sure.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. And and as you said, like every time someone says, Oh, that's hard and it's like, Well, I'm gonna get go a little bit harder, I'm gonna try a little bit harder. I'm gonna try and make this thing happen. But uh, look, you know, we I don't go over any higher expectations. You know, once again you go for the adventure, it's something that I'm not gonna do every day. Um, I'll be honest, I wouldn't chase them in their in their homeland. So, um, you know, a great opportunity to, you know, travel back back to the States and you know, it's, it's pretty easy to get around, obviously down there, and I've got a buddy helping me out down there as well. So he'll be glassing from the bottom, and you know, hopefully we can put a plan together on, on one of these ones and maybe get the job done. But if we don't, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing them every day, and I think it's going to be an unreal experience. And you know, if I can top it off and harvest one, um, you know, obviously I'll be over the moon. But um, I'll, I'll sure make the most out of the adventure anyway. So, but um, you know, the trainings the trainings changed a little bit. As yeah, as you said, it's going to be a lot more sort of hiking, stepping, climbing sort of thing. So, um, yeah, the training at the gym and that kind of stuff is definitely starting to becoming more adapted to that. So um, hopefully it will be good to go by January.
0: Oh, I'm sure you will. Yeah, and um, good and steep too. Be comfortable with that steep stuff and know what you can do and what you can't. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah. they're definitely going to tempt you in that steep stuff to make a stock down and whether or not you can pick your way down a chute or down a little bluff or whatever it is, I think that's going to be a big part of it too.
1: Oh, definitely. I think, you know, as you said before, it'll take three or four days. I think it's going to take me probably 10 days to get used to it and then not even be used to it after that. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it um, no, nah, look, it, it, as I said, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a good crack and, and absolutely no no expectations whatsoever. If I get to see a few, that'll be one t- box ticked. And, uh, you know, if I get a shot, uh, all the better. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll do plenty of practice. It's a little bit hard for us back here to try and train for, for that steep stuff. But, you um, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll put something together and, and I've just, just started getting back into it now after after a few weeks off. So, um, yeah, we'll start shooting pretty, pretty full on now and um, a couple of months out and, and, yeah, hopefully we can make it work.
0: Yeah, um, how awesome! That's what I've always said about that hunt too. Is it's it's just the experience. And when I look at doing a new thing, I take that same approach you do. Is it's just I'm just it's just going to be an adventure. And the, the you know it's worth the price of admission just to go down there and stare through my scope at, at a billy with fifty inch horns and watch him walk in that steep stuff and have a tag in my top my pocket and be able to go make a play around and and just make this slow methodical stalk down on it. And it's fairly open. Country where you know I think you're going to be able to glass them and see them bed in spots and, and and find canyons and coolies and be up on top. But man, just the experience alone, it just sounds like an awesome adventure. I I just can't wait. I wish I was closer where I could help you out down there. I'd just love to join in on a hunt like that. But uh yeah, you're you're going to have a great time. Yeah, congratulations on the tag and man, it's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. It's um I mean invitations open if you can get down there. Get down there, but. uh um yeah no it's and it's something that like i wouldn't have even dreamt of you know uh, going back last year and before you know something wasn't even on the on the bucket list sort of thing and you know when i seen and i read up a little bit on them and you know then i realized you know how much people want to get down there and chase them and um obviously we're close to new zealand where you know bull tar you know pretty well known as well and you know They sort of say these ibex are like the next step up from them, and you know, especially in their homeland and stuff. So, you know, be able to jump straight to the top and chase these guys, you know, I'm very, very fortunate, and and I, you know, I'm very humbled to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, it's um, it'll be interesting to see what story comes out of this one. It really will.
0: (laughs) I'd say. Um, so you're close to New Zealand. So do you hunt New Zealand
1: quite a bit? To be honest with you, I haven't hunted New Zealand. Um, you guys have taken over that, so I don't have any other time but to come to the states. But uh, no, it's on. (laughs) It's on the cards. It, um, it's literally a three-hour flight for us. It, it, I really should be doing it every year, but it's just one thing I haven't sort of, um, you know, haven't had the time to do it. Haven't dedicated the time to do it yet. Um, but I've got a few guys uh, that have really become successful. A good mate of mine um, just harvested bull tar um, just just last week. So um, sounded like a pretty epic adventure, and you know, I'm, I'm keen to hear all about it. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of hunting over there, and you know, the bull tar obviously the the standout animal coming out of New Zealand, and, and they've got you know good red stag and um, you know the the, the chamois and, and those kind of things. So um, you know they, they they love their hunting down in New Zealand. So I'll um, I'll be doing more of it. Put it that way
0: yeah oh yeah i can't wait to get down there those um hawaiian buddies of mine that i've done quite a bit of hunting with they went to new zealand last year and were able to connect on some tar and my one buddy stayed committed to his bow the whole time and and uh he he had a couple misses i believe or close calls anyways and just some great pictures but man it just looked like a just an awesome adventure up there um that place is just beautiful i love that new zealand but you guys have some really good hunting there in australia i've always been intrigued by those um um, your your asiatic water buffalo like some of that northern australia is some of the remote the most remote country in the world and it's yeah. it's it's hot and it's desolate and in isolated and you guys go in after the those uh those bulls have have you done that hunt down there
1: i haven't uh i haven't done the buffalo yet um it's on the cards for next year actually so um, I've, I've done the northern Australia to the, to the eastern pocket. Um, the, the buffalo sort of hanging that, the central northern part of, of Australia. Um, but you're dead right straight across the top there of Australia. No matter where you are, it's, it's extremely remote. Um, yeah, you literally are in the middle of nowhere. It's, uh, <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's, it's dry. It's very tropical. So it's, uh, you're obviously getting up, um, very seasonal. So you've got the wet season and the dry season up there so it's very monsoonal um, it's full of lagoons and you know and the, the buffalo there's some big boys up there um, they have wild wild cattle which we call scrub bull as well they're, they're a huntable target um, I've actually taken a couple of scrub bull in, in Cape York which is another part of uh, northern Australia uh, wild, wild pigs or wild boar they're, they're prolific up there they're, they're more or less everywhere um, causing all the problems they do so they're, they're obviously something we target quite a lot here in Australia and um but yeah, no, the buffalo is obviously very well known for, uh, as one of the the species that are well targeted over here, and I think they're they're everything you think they are. You know, they're big, they're cranky, and um, you know, certainly something that'd um, be pretty fun to chase, I reckon.
0: Oh man, that's wild! How much do those things weigh?
1: Oh, um, I think they're well, they're probably getting up around your moose, probably a little bit more. So, um, you yeah, know, maybe 1,000, 1,200 pounds, those kind of things.
0: Man, that is huge, and some, yeah, and yeah, giant, wide horns too. the uh, The horns are just beautiful on them. They look like they go fifty inches, sixty inches, something like that.
1: Oh yeah, they're massive. You know, it's a, it's a job just to lift them up. So um, you know, I don't know how you go getting them back on the plane, but <laughs> you get it done, I reckon. But um, yeah, they're they're big animals. They're really big um i think live weight i think you know they, they get over a ton so which is you know you're looking at over 2000 pounds live weight so oh wow yeah that's oh, a yeah, giant animal they're, they're giants yeah they're, they're huge so and they know how to strand their ground too they know that nothing really can hurt them so um you know a lot of the hunts here are done with backup rifle so a lot of your archery hunts are done with backup rifle just in case things go a little bit pear-shaped and uh they use some pretty big calibers when they're when they're chasing with rifle as well so um yeah you know they They've definitely got, got everyone's respect. That's for sure.
0: Oh man, I'd say. Um, and, and up north, so you fly into a spot up north. It's just it, it's so many miles from where you're at. Fly in up north, and then you're really self sufficient and on your own. You really got to be careful out in that country. There's there's some bad stuff that can happen, <laughs> right? I mean, um, it's it's so remote out there. Like, uh, you really are. On your own, and so you get a vehicle and travel out there on some rough roads, and bring a bunch of spare tires and spare tire kits. But you, you got to be set up right to do that, don't you?
1: Yeah, sure do. I mean, a lot of the outfitters, you know, it's a little bit like you know some of the outfitters that do you know some of the southern states that where um, you know back home for you guys. But um, yeah, you know, Darwin is a is a is a, the capital of Northern Territory, um, so it's a, it's quite a big city. Um, it's quite a big port as well, so it's right on the coast. Um, there's a there's a main airport at Darwin, and then yeah, most of your hunting's done within sort of six to eight hours of Darwin. So yep, same thing again. They'll pick you up um, in the four-wheel drive, and and um, you know with all the gear, and they generally have sort of they'll have base camps. Um, a lot of the a lot of the land that's hunted on is traditional land, so it's all uh, Aboriginal land. So a lot of permission for access and all that sort of stuff's got to be gained. So a lot of it is done through outfitters um us are lucky to have contacts and that that we can get on just you know general public land or, or private property uh we don't have a lot of public land hunting so most of it's you've got to have permission to do most of your hunting here so hence why a lot of that northern country is run by outfitters but you know where it is and you know if we're just flying in you, you kind of need all the help you can get so with the outfitters having all the gear up there food water and and obviously the vehicles to get around um yeah, there's no other better way to do it really
0: oh gotcha okay um man just looks like a wild hunt and so and then you you guys have um do you guys have uh, fallow deer there
1: we sure do so we got okay. um six species of deer so we've got the fallow deer um the axis deer like the ones you chased in hawaii um we call them chittle so the chittle axis deer so fallow chittle we got the rusa um, a rooster deer and then we've got the hog deer which is like a quite a smaller deer but you know quite a challenge to hunt Um, the red deer or red stag and there's also the samba deer which is uh, about the same size as the red stag so um yeah there, there's a good mix and they're all over the, they're all over the country particularly on the, the eastern side of the country Um so you know most of our hunting's done on that eastern sort of coast along the not so much on the coastline but slightly inland as well so um, but there's yeah, the different species up and down up and down that east coast of Australia. so yeah, we've got plenty to chase, and as I said the the wild pigs are more or less all over australia. Um, big thing probably a lot of people don't realize here is that everything we hunt here is a feral species. It's all been introduced, so we actually can't hunt our our native native species, so very much different from from the states where you guys have you're obviously harvesting your your native species with your elk and your moose and your deer and all those kind of things it's it's a complete flip for us it's it's all introduced species that are only ones allowed we're allowed to hunt
0: oh that's wild but yeah uh gosh what a variety of deer that's wild so i just want to go back to that so you have the axis deer those axis deer are wild Mm -hmm. to hunt aren't aren't those things jumpy and fun to chase around
1: yeah, they're awesome. I've uh, I've been lucky enough to, to go and hunt them as well and I've taken two stags and um, they're, they're a blast. I can't believe how they disappear. Um, they look like orange spotty animal and they are so hard to pick up. Yeah, I, you can have binoculars and looking straight through them. It's crazy. But um, no, they're good fun. I, I really enjoy chasing them. I'm, I'm keen to do that again soon actually.
0: Oh, nice! And then um, you said uh, red red deer, so the red stag. You guys have those as well, huh?
1: We do. So we uh, we've got a good wild population of them. Um, so they they run free, um, you know, private land and some of our public land, um, sort of Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria. So the three eastern states. Um, there's a few other herds scattered throughout the country as well, um, but there's a pretty good sort of wild herd going in the different states and um, they're a challenge they're very similar to the elk they've got very similar habits Um, they sort of feed low um, in the afternoons and and feed back up in the mornings and their their habits are are quite similar actually so we sort of take a little bit out of that when we come and chase the elk we've kind of put the two and two together a little bit Um, slightly different in ways but um yeah they're they're a great target they're a very majestic animal and and they've got a they've got a ripping roar when they get when they're rutting so um they kind of flips. so i think the elk should have the red deer roar, but anyway that's another story but <laughs> it's um yeah they're a great target
0: oh how cool and so it sounds like you do have some some public land on that eastern side of the country that you can kind of get into and hunt or or is that the ma- majority of it uh private too where you want to hunt those
1: yeah, I look I'll be honest and say 95% is probably public land. Um we do we do have state forests which is um you know similar to you guys with that that is open to hunting as well, but majority of that country is pretty sort of poor country, so most of our private country has all been pasture improved for for cattle and those kind of things. So um most of your animals are, are sitting on the on the on the private ground. So in order to hunt them, yeah, you need the permission. So it's very similar to your eastern states really where there's little pockets of public land that you can hunt, but majority is taken up by private.
0: Okay. Um, so, okay, axis deer, red deer, and then you said um, uh, russo buck. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah, so russo deer. Um, so they're uh, – they're I think they're Indian, I think, is their originality. Um, so they're used to having tigers, and that chased them. So uh, that's where they come from, once again, introduced. Um, they're they're They've got a really – um, sort of deep-throated roar as well so they're a little bit smaller than the red deer um kind of like a brown chocolate color i suppose you could say they are and they're the same makeup in the antlers as Russo, so they're only got uh, sorry as, as axis deer so they've only got the three points on each antler okay um yeah so they're really a lot heavier set a lot thicker sort of sort of deer and um i haven't taken one yet but um I've had a couple of hunts for them, but I haven't harvested one yet, but uh, they're certainly on my bucket list.
0: Oh, how cool. And then you mentioned one other smaller deer that you said was really challenging to hunt.
1: Yeah, so the hog deer. So they're, the closest I could think of probably a hog deer would be your coos deer, um, so very much a smaller-bodied animal. Um, how much know, do you sort of, think
0: they weigh, Craig?
1: Um, look, they'd probably only be many pounds, maybe 110 pounds 120 pounds i'd reckon they're probably not they're probably much more than that i wouldn't think okay yeah like a coos deer yeah yeah i think so they that's the closest i can probably put them and uh they're kind of in a like a little lowland, like swampy sort of sort of country like with little dry dry flats little dry plains um and they're down um sort of closer to the southern southern end of the eastern side of australia so they like that little sort of more cooler cooler temperate climate uh, with a bit of water so um, i haven't chased them yet we've we're actually got a ballot system for them as well so we've got a we've got a draw system for them which is one of the only few deer that we do have that so um so they do have a a closed and open season for them so they're quite well controlled because there's not a lot of them so um but yeah hopefully one day i'll get a tag for one of them
0: oh good for you and what's their what's their rack configuration look
1: like only small um you mentioned roebuck um well um the roebuck i think is that scotland i think it is i'm not sure if you're familiar with them but they're very very similar to a roebuck yeah
0: okay all right yeah i can picture it now huh wild yeah Yeah, you guys do have some good opportunity and it sounds like um managing them through a draw you know the 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 country's really you know realizes what they have for deer and are trying to manage the, the the herds of them so that's great to hear
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, we could do a lot more of it. Um, you know, pretty passionate about the way you guys run yours over there. And we always have that challenge that it, uh, introduced species. So they, they, they're called, you know, pests in, in some areas. But, um, you know, I think the more and more we can, we can realize what we do have, um, yeah, like the hog deer, I think, uh, the better it'll be, you know, and, uh, I mean, you know, hunting's not as well known here, especially comparing it to the states but uh it's slowly growing in the right direction i think so we just need to keep that going
0: oh man right on yeah tons of opportunity and it sounds like uh, good adventures to have and in in the country is so big you can travel to so many different uh so much different terrain i i would imagine you know to where you know you could get more rainforest or more um uh, you know wetter wetter terrain to all the way to dry desert and so it sounds like there's a variety to hunt
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's right on it. Um, you know, you can go a hundred a hundred mile and it'd be completely different. You know, you'd think you're in a different world. So um, most of our stuff, as I said, talking about the east coast of Australia, we've got a, a mountain range that runs the full length of Australia, up and down, north south. Um, and then once you bump over that that mountain range, you're pretty much just keeping getting drier and drier to the centre of Australia. Um, I mean, Australia's a very dry country if you compare it to a lot of the other the rest of the world, but um, yeah that east, east coast gets most of the moisture so you do you got you know pockets of rainforest and um, you know a lot of farm and agricultural land and those kind of things and then as you head further west you've got your your larger cropping so your wheats and all that kind of stuff so and the you know we hunt all the different kind of Areas there, just depending on what we're chasing, so you know as I said before your your wild boar is throughout every part of Australia more or less I don't think there's a part they haven't reached yet, so um you know that you can make good fun out of that you can hunt them in the mountains like you guys do the bears and then you can hunt them out on the flat stuff in the wheat paddocks and those kind of things so um, they they're pretty good fun
0: oh they sound like it how big do the boars get
1: um so really good boar you know three hundred three hundred and fifty pound so that's a really big fella, and then uh you know, I think most of your most of your boars be sort of two hundred and twenty, two hundred and
0: fifty pounds. Oh, that is a big boar. <laughs> yeah, they're good boars. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: well, well fed. See, yeah. and then as you go and chase them further north, like you go right up into the top where we're talking the buffalo, and and a little bit further to the east, it's a lot harder. You know, there's not a lot of feed, and they do it. They do it pretty tough. So we go up there and chase them. You know, more or less for their tusk size, I suppose. You don't chase them for body size up there, but they grow some exceptional exceptional tusks. So.
0: They eat good too,
1: don't they? Yeah, if you get them off the uh, off the crop country, so you get them off the wheat paddocks and those kind of things, uh, yeah, they're, they're as good as a restaurant. So.
0: Oh, man. Um, yeah, so some opportunity to hunt around there. That's really cool. Uh, how So how are the challenges, the struggles? Like over here, we've got our, our grizzly bears, our rattlesnakes, uh, weather, lightning and stuff. So what are some of the major challenges over there hunting?
1: Um, it's funny how you guys... You, you talk about our snakes and everything that wants to bite and crawl nothing eats us here apart from crocodiles so <laughs> we're we're so far in front of you guys but um no look we've we've got plenty of snakes um but it's just like you guys and, and dealing with your battle snakes you just you know they're there you just got to watch out for them um you know there's plenty of spiders and those kind of things but there's nothing too crazy with those guys but you know we we see the odd snake when we're hunting but um you know they're they're a little bit the same as us you know we're, we're running the other way from them it's only if they're cornered um and then up in the northern part of the country obviously we've got the crocodiles but um you just don't go near water it's as simple as that you know you, you stay a good you know 10 10 12 feet away from the water and you you know you just got to expect that there's there's a crocodile lying in the water so um you know if it says don't swimming don't swim so <laughs> it's a, just read the signs but um you know i've seen a few you know i've been up north and um, they're very, very shy. They're an extremely shy animal, but um, you don't actually get to see a lot of them. But they're getting pretty big numbers again and, you know, they, they're getting into waterways. You know, they have a little bit of trouble around them. Um, the big cattle stations and that we've got, or, or ranches, as you guys call them, you know, they get a little bit close to home. So once again, they're going to have to start, you know, just watching their numbers again, like everything. But um, but uh, they're a pretty cool animal. They're very prehistoric. So, but, um, you yeah, know, if you're over here hunting, you don't need to worry about them.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah, just a dinosaur just swimming around there in the water, just lurking, (laughs) waiting for you to dip your hand in there. (laughs) Just no thanks on that deal. Um, (laughs) but, but yeah, uh, well, it seems like with all those challenges, you kind of got to face them head on and, um, not let them control you mentally. You know, you, you got to go out and enjoy yourself and just be ready to deal with the scenario. So um, I don't mean to be stuck on the snakes, but like uh what are th- you got any aggressive ones there? Any ones that you have to watch out for that are quicker than the other ones or ones you don't like to run into?
1: Yeah, you do. Uh the brown snakes, brown brown snakes and and another one we call the taipan. Um they're the ones you don't want to run into, so they're they're quick and they can be very aggressive as well. So, um they're generally quick the other way, but if you get if they get cornered or startled, Um, if you surprise them yeah you you just got to be careful Um, there's a particular area that you're likely to see them as well they like that dry country the dry hot country Um, so you know you kind of get a when you're around them enough you kind of get a bit of a feeling where you're likely to see one Um, you know so you you sort of you just I guess you look at certain places a little bit more than the others so you know try not to get that surprise but yeah there is a couple of species you just want to be a little bit more careful with Um, our red belly black snake which is probably the most common that you're going to see when you're hunting um, he's pretty shy but once again you know if you if you trot on him or something like that you might be in a little bit of trouble but um, you know hopefully you can make it back to the hospital in time so
0: (laughs) oh man (laughs) that's where those things are gnarly is just one bite and you're in deep trouble
1: yeah, that's the brown snake. That's uh, that's the only trouble with him. And and a lot of the times, obviously, as you know, when we're hunting, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere. And you know, it could be a seven or eight hour you know car drive to to the nearest hospital. But um, you know, they're pretty good once you get there. But um, you know, we got we got good medical services as far as planes and helicopters and that these days. But you, you just want to know your good basic first aid and and what to do. So that's it, why it's it's good to be hunting with someone. Um, if you can so but um, you know in all honesty probably the worst one we have would be dehydration. Or you know that that i think that would probably bring more people undone than what you know anybody being bitten by something you know it's just we're hot um you know it's just like hunting in the desert you know if your your fluids aren't there that's that's probably the biggest thing so um yeah as much as we worry about the things that bite you and eat you but um yeah it's probably nearly our own mistakes to be honest with you
0: Boy, you're so right, and um, dehydration is such a major deal. I had that buddy of mine in Hawaii, and it's so humid there, and then hot, and uh, you know his buddy forgot his water and shared his water, and. Gosh, he mm-hmm. went. You know, he made it out of there okay, but his his body suffered and um, liver started shutting down, and kidneys, and we're still not sure if that was the cause of it, but um, that was yeah. definitely the start of it. And uh, yeah. you know, there's an, another story of a gal there that it, it passed out on the beach. had drank too much and ended up passing away from dehydration. So yeah, yep. no, you're right. It's uh, uh, it it's probably dehydration, and in my country, hypothermia and. Um, you know frostbite and 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 making those mistakes are a a lot bigger than probably the grizzly bears you're going to run into or the snakes you're going to run into
1: yeah definitely but i must admit that uh you know the grizzly bears has me questioning where i'm going to apply in certain states so i've got to be honest there but uh, (laughs) uh i'm watching them but um no it's um yeah it's just like anywhere you go you 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 got to pick your battles and, you know, just got to be a little bit smart and have your wits about you and, you know, and and just take care, you know, there's no use pushing it to a point that, you know, something's going to go wrong. So as much as we, we still do crazy things, but um, yeah, you just got to be a little bit careful in, in certain times, so...
0: Safety's number one you got to make sure that you're coming back to hunt another day and we want to test our skills out there but you're right there's a line where you got to know that you can't push it past and 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 you know for me it's like uh camping in a safe spot with lightning or it's um you know with with bears i feel really comfortable around them just because we have them here in my home valley and home state and i've spent so much time with with grizzly bears and black bears that i you know i know how to avoid them and how to steer clear and and what to do in those scenarios when you do you surprise them in those close yardages and, 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 you know, really you'd like it. It's like another element that, that adds to the hunt, you know, another challenge, yeah. of keeping yourself safe and keeping your wits about you. But I mean, uh, grizzly bears, I mean, I, I'd rather be in these mountains full of grizzly bears and those brown snakes. Those things, those things <laughs> sound pretty gnarly.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know. See, the, that's the same thing. You know, I look at that and, you know, it, it's something we're around all the time, but hey, they still give you a good fright when you see them. Don't get me wrong. I still run like a little girl when I <laughs> and scream like, you know, I, I, I don't like snakes at all, you know, but you just, it doesn't stop me from going hunting. So, um, you know, you just, you might walk around a, p- a big, thick patch of, of uh, thick grass or something you know you walk around it or something or you know you just pick and choose where you're going to go or you might stay on a on an animal um, trail or something like that so you know there's ways that you can get around and I guess lessen the opportunity of having that fright.
0: Yeah, no, it it just be something I'd have to get over, and you you get comfortable once you're in the that setting and those surroundings, and and you keep an eye on your feet, and you you watch where you're walking, and they're not everywhere, they're not behind every bush or every rock, or at least I think they're not. I've never been to Australia, but at least that's the way they you know grizzly bears are, and like the the Hawaii guys um, that came over and hunted with me this year, you know it was their first year in grizzly country, and uh, I can't tell you how many grizzly questions I got before they came <laughs> over. How how nervous those guys were, how many bear stories they listened to, like they knew everything about grizzly bears they they contemplated packing a, a slug gun around, and <laughs> they had pistols and bear spray, and they had more stuff, and you know it, it, the the more days they spent out here, the more comfortable they got, and we were pushing hard in, in darkness, in grizzly country, where guys have been attacked before but you just kind of learn how to move around what to keep your eye out for and you just, you get comf- more comfortable as the days go on, and, and like Rob and you know camping way back in the wilderness you know and and seeing grizzly sign but they're just not everywhere and if you keep your wits about you you know you can definitely keep yourself safe so um yeah they're they're you know you just get comfortable with your surroundings you with brown snakes and me with grizzly bears
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely Uh, that's uh that's exactly it it just um and it it, once again it comes back to that same thing it's just experiences and, and knowing how to deal with them i guess so um, the probably the hardest thing you'll find is, you know, is taking us serious enough whether we're joking with you or we're actually telling you the truth. So after the first few days and you get used to us, then you'd be right, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: You like kind of getting guys going, huh? Um...
1: Oh, yeah, no, we're terrible for it, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's good humor, though, isn't it? Oh, makes it makes it a fun trip, you know. There might be much happen- happening on the hunting side of things, but you're always having a good time, so.
0: Oh, that, and it's a huge part of it is, uh, having, having fun with the guys you're hunting with. And we, we do get so goal driven, but spending that time outdoors with, with buddies like that. And if it wasn't for hunting and, and a little bit of fishing, like, I you know I I wouldn't hang out with as many of of my buddies and we, you know it's all about us going to do these cool adventures and these cool things together but but then the fun that comes out of them and and remembering the experience with your buddy and the adventure you had and recalling upon it for years to come um it it's a it's a special deal and and really a a big part of the fun I have you know with hunting out here out west
1: Oh definitely I mean I there's no way that uh, you know some of the areas I've gone obviously Montana and and the different states you know if it wasn't for hunting I couldn't even see myself there you know so you know I think hunting for that and 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 then back home I I think hunting for you know staying fit and healthy and you know um, I really don't do much else I you know everything's sort of for the next hunt sort of thing everything that drives me to do and you know as much as that drives the wife crazy at times you know it's she's pretty happy that you know I don't do much else and you know it's i don't i don't really drink much and i I don't go to the, the club or the pub or anything like that kind of stuff so you know she knows what i'm up to it's you know it's just work hard and and i play hard hunting so you know and uh you know certainly the kids don't miss out they always come first and and the hunting comes second so
0: man uh yep same thing here it's just uh same exact thing just always trying to plan for that next hunt and it uh it, it you know having that passion in your life it just keeps you hungry keeps you in good shape keeps you eating healthy and and then like you say it i, I really think it helps you be a better father and better husband as you so appreciative of the support that you you want to do as good a job as you can you know being there for your family and doing right as they support you know you being out chasing your passion and yeah i may drive her a little nuts at times i i think <laughs> i want to get her on the podcast here pretty soon um just about elk hunting and uh how crazy i I Am during season, and that, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just couldn't do it without the support. It's so nice to have it, um, but but yeah, it's just a, a big driving force in my life, and it it sounds like the exact same for you. It's just a, and it's fun to have that in our lives,
1: yeah, definitely. And, and it's just like our conversation today, you know, I'm, I'm meeting people that I never dreamt of meeting, even though that you know, I mean, I've followed Eastman's for I don't know, even know how many years, you know, it's one of the first sort of names, and you know, to be talking to yourself who. Obviously, is, you know, is well known in that world and, you know, and, and all the rest of the people that I've met, you know, you, I can't dream of anything more than that. It's, it's fantastic. And how small the world's getting, that's, uh, that just blows my mind. But, you know, going back to, you know, having plans for hunting, it, it makes it a lot easier, I think, on family when you do have it planned. You know, my bucket list is growing. I think every time I have a conversation about hunting, but you know, with Alaska and, and the Yukon and all those on the bucket list and, and just looking to start booking some of that stuff in, you know, it makes it a lot easier when you can, you know, talk to your wife about that and, you know, sort of plan things together and say, well, you know, this is what I want to do. When do you think I can do it? So I think doing it together as a team, even though you're the one that gets the glory out of it or the, or the adventure out of it, uh, you know, sometimes they can join you, but um, I think the decision is a lot easier made when it's done together
0: oh absolutely yep, um yeah, uh, the the ask for forgiveness doesn't work out too well with the wife. Uh, my wife puts up with a lot for me though. I'm I'm always planning the next adventure or where I'm gonna go. She definitely puts up with her fair share. But no, <laughs> it, it is good. Um, she doesn't do good with spur of the moment either. So as much as I go and as many adventures I go on, I I also have to plan and let her know, hey, I'm gonna be gone, you know, this week or you know these few days coming up. And as long as she knows that, she's fine. It's when I it's when I try to when I take off and change plans and and go on a day's notice that gets on her last nerve so i've learned my lesson over the years and and uh to to plan in advance with her as well
1: yeah i'm exactly the same i'm in trouble if i do spur of the moment so i just don't do it at all so i just go home
0: (laughs) good for you you've learned your lesson
1: yeah, definitely, very quickly.
0: Yeah, well, um, so cool to talk to you, Craig. Like you say, the the world just shrinks around you. Like talk, talking to somebody from Australia and the bow hunting you do down there, it's just so interesting and and so different than what we have here. And and then just hearing your experiences coming out here to the states, I, I'm just so glad that I've been able to meet you and, and keep in touch with you, man. Thanks a bunch for doing the podcast. And you have a podcast of your own that you run down there, uh, hunting camp down under.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, it's um, I got to be honest, with you, you know, yourself and and a few of the other guys that are running podcasts that got me started, and I want to do more in the in the industry, I suppose you could say. And you know, there's enough brands and products, and I kind of wondered what I could do. And you know, after listening to podcasts for six, six to twelve months, I thought you know I'll, I'll give this a crack, and it's been good. You know, it's a slow little start, and uh, as I said, it's a growing thing here in Australia, so it's um it's good to be a part of it, and and hopefully I can shed some good light here back in Australia, and um you know share the stories you know i think that's that's why i sort of i love talking about the stories and the adventures we have and and hopefully get a few more people um that sort of dream of it and and kind of make it happen so you know and i really appreciate you getting me on today it's i was uh, i was really excited when you asked me so you know just to just to share it and and i know we've spoken quite a bit and i will get up to montana very soon so hopefully we can make the ATA show work that'll be cool
0: oh that would be way cool yep we need to hook up i also thought yeah i should be down in arizona coos deer so we'll just have to keep in touch when you're doing that ibex hunt i'd love to join in for a couple days help glass or or do whatever so that may work out too
1: oh man that'd be awesome yeah i think i'd love to say i'm going to do the full 15 days hunt but um i'll at least at least have 10 days hunting so um i've just got to try and work a few things back home here to uh to make it work but um I'm getting there, so we'll, um, but yeah, no, I'll be definitely there for the opener and, um, we'll just see how far we can go in. And I know I want to give myself every sort of day. I know how challenging it is, but, um, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, 10 days won't be enough, but yeah, best case scenario, I'll be there for the 15 days. So the man should be good. I hope I can see you down there or, um, or the ATA show or somewhere, somewhere in the States.
0: Oh, we're going to catch up here eventually. Uh, so is your tag, is it the first through the 15th or is it the 15th through the 30th?
1: 15th to the 30th.
0: Okay. Yep. I couldn't remember yeah. what the dates were on that one. Okay. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah, um, actually I actually had to double check when I was talking to you before, so <laughs> yeah, it's 15th to the 30th, so um, yeah.
0: Okay, well yeah, congratulations on the great tags and your adventures already here in, in New Mexico, and, and uh, uh, congratulations on the podcast, uh, doing a great job with that. You're so well-spoken and and such a good uh, represent, representative for, for bow hunting in Australia, so again, just really happy I met you, Craig. Thanks a bunch for being on, man.
1: Awesome, Brian. Thanks for having us, mate. I really appreciate it
0: all right good job man that was a great podcast nah,
1: man yeah man i i kind of could have jumped in more with the the hunting here but and that's like another whole three hours so
0: <laughs> oh i thought you did a good job of describing it but yeah i'm sure we could have done a three-hour podcast uh it, it was just oh. a, a great back and forth and uh you're so articulate with your your answers and the way you look at hunting um you're just a, a really great guest for the podcast
1: thanks man i really appreciate it i was sort of uh, you know it's hard to know or well, you know yourself, you don't know what you talk, you what you sound like, or or what you're going to say, and it just comes out. So <laughs> it's doesn't
0: it? Of, it? It yeah. that's like me too. I just can't plan it out too much. It just um when you've hunted that long and you have so much passion for it, like something you says sparks something in me that you know it ties yeah. to a story I have or something I want to add or a tip or a. But that was just a great back and forth. I really enjoyed that.
1: Awesome man. I forgot me outline story. I have to tell you, it. We got. I got stalked by a mountain lion.
0: <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. oh, That's hilarious. sketchy. Those things yeah. are just the. Uh, you know, you, when you look at their claws, they're an inch and a half and razor oh. sharp. And you think of how a house cat can tear you up. Can you imagine yeah. a hundred pound oh. house cat that taking swipes oh. at you? Those things are gnarly.
1: That uh, that night I said that I got to twenty yards off that bull. Um, so we there was generally like a bluff and we had to climb up this through this bluff onto this top and that's where those elk had been staying the whole time i just hadn't worked it out so i let that bull go and the cows pushed off and we couldn't make another play on it so we're coming off by the time we got off it it was dark we slid down some rock shoots and then just in our headshot headlights and my buddy goes oh there's eyes and i'm like that's a cat no, it's not. I said no. That's a cat. Look at it, and it's sitting there just haunched at us, like you know, like in the the spring position, I suppose you could say. Yes. So we uh, we threw with like my buddy. I put an arrow one, and my buddy's throwing rocks at it, and it kept jumping at the rocks. Huh. We rocks we threw. It kept pouncing on the rocks, <laughs> and uh, that thing never let us go for another hundred yards. It just sat there about fifty yards behind us, sixty yards behind us, watched us the whole way until we crossed the cross this little canyon, and uh, yeah, it was pretty full on. So I mean, that was the first. Time I've ever been well, what I think I've been around them. I'm sure they've been watching us, but uh, yeah, that was pretty full on.
0: Those things are spooky, aren't they? If they oh, had a, yeah. if they had a different attitude, and not that I mean, they can attack cool. and they attack runners and and joggers and and even hunters. Yeah, you'd be in big trouble. But, oh. but they just, like, most of the time their attitude is not to attack you. They don't see you as food. But if they had a different attitude, we'd all be spooked to the woods because those things oh. are the are the biggest predator out there. I can't imagine having to sneak up on a deer and kill it with tooth and fangs. Can you imagine how sneaky you'd have to be?
1: <laughs> oh, it just it blows my mind. It really does. Like, that's what cracks me up about, like, and I, I love how you're jumping with the snake thing. It was so cool to go back. and. But, like, I can't get my head around, like, you got, like, the snakes is just nothing for us compared to that kind of stuff over there. Like, but at the same time, as soon as I get into your like, as soon as I start hunting, it just all goes out the window. Like, it you've got your natural kind of you know awareness, but it doesn't freak me out. It doesn't worry me at all. Like, I'm not sitting there going, oh shit, is there a bear around this corner? Or it doesn't worry me. it's just um, it's funny. It uh, I just get that over like absorbed in the hunt. It, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, you just get used to your surroundings, and I I remember there's a story about one of the Hawaii guys, and it wasn't here, it was his first trip in Oregon, and he was hunting by himself for... For elk and and, uh, he was back in there and he had never seen or heard a coyote and they started howling Mm -hmm. around him and he saw one and it scared him where he went all the way back to the truck he thought they were hunting him like he had just never been around him or or never seen Mm -hmm. him before and he was scared to death of that coyote he said he ran nearly the whole way to the truck I laughed so hard (laughs) at that story from that 35 pound dog you know out there in the field but when you're not used to it or comfortable with it and it's different to you you know it, it can it can be really spooky and like you said Day. it's it's uh hunting is, is so important and we're so passionate about it but but uh, there's no deer worth dying for you got to live to hunt another no. day so um and since he's got over his fear of coyotes now that he knows what they are but so funny <laughs> i laughed so hard at that story all right guys that's a wrap uh so you may have noticed i let that podcast run a little bit longer um i always have such great conversations before we start the podcast and and after we end the podcast and so uh, you maybe heard it on that Todd Helms podcast, I, I just uh, I just started it, and, and uh, we talked about antelope hunting and all this cool stuff, so I just edited it, so that was in the podcast, and, and so that's what I did here as well. I I got listening to it, and I was getting ready to cut things down and, and uh, get everything edited up for you guys, put in my intro and my ending, and... God, Craig started telling this story about anal- or, uh, about uh, uh, mountain lions. It was super interesting. And we just had this good back and forth. So I just let it run a little bit. So uh, it kind of stopped uh, abruptly there after we got done. But uh, And you probably heard us keep going after uh, we ended the podcast. But uh, like I say, it's just good hunting conversation. I thought I just added in there. So uh, a little bonus behind the scenes for you guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just really having fun with this deal. i I sure like doing this podcast. Um, I can't believe sixty some episodes, and it just hasn't gotten old. It's just like you you get on here and and you talk hunting, you know, either with my buddies or with other guests. And I'm just I'm just making I'm meeting so many cool people that that have such a passion for hunting and great outlook on things. And I am taking a lot away from it. You know, I'm taking a a lot away from it in my my mindset and enjoying hunting and and uh, I'm learning a lot. I'm just always picking up tips and tactics and things that I can use in the field so um, so the podcast is really making me better which is which is always a good thing and and uh, I keep getting good messages from you guys that you guys are successful so uh, just really enjoy it just really appreciate the support you guys uh, downloading the episodes the the reviews on iTunes uh, the follows on social media and and I'm gonna try to do more on social media. I'm such a. I am such aii do not I really enjoy it and I really look and enjoy looking at photos on there and posting things up. But, um, you know, I've got to be careful too that I don't spend too much time looking at social media, you know. And so I get on these hunts and it's kind of my time away from social media and I got to do a better job at just capturing them. So I, I want to do more and more of the. Uh, instagram live stories and and uh make sure that i'm i'm posting consistently i know you know i'd have uh weeks at a time where i was hunting where i didn't post this year so i need to be more consistent with that but um it's just life it's always a work in progress right always trying to get better at things so um the today's sponsor with eberly stock uh thanks to those guys um for sponsoring the podcast making great packs used it for my elk hunt my deer hunt this year um, I use that main frame with the spike duffel comes in really light, and then uh, also want to try out that new uh, Blue Widow pack that they have and and uh, check that out. But uh, thanks to Eberly Stock for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, with that, just want to get back over to that Eastman's office and just catch up to all the guys over there. Just hear the stories from this season and and uh, hear the success I saw. Um, Todd Helms, he, he put down a couple antelope, him and Brandon, and and uh, Reekers, Scott Reekers, he's my partner on the podcast, and uh, he got a bull down, their opener, a rifle, and, and had a really good archery hunt, and so um, saw a couple of the girls, they, they put down antelope, they filmed for Beyond the Grid, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, just want to get over there and catch up to everybody, catch up to Ike and, and Guy and the whole crew there. Uh, it's just such a great team to be a part of, and they they just uh, stand behind the podcast hundred percent. And and they just they uh, pretty much give me give me free power to do you know whatever I think is right for the podcast. Um, so you know I'm I'm able to have free flowing conversations, ask the questions I want, get the guests I want on. And, uh, you know, I feel like we have a a different niche with this podcast and I just want to continually continue to get out good information to you guys. So, um, with that, I better end this. Um, I'm getting on the road for that muley hunt. Super stoked. Uh, so seven, eight days of chasing muleys back for a day or two and then out for seven, eight days chase chasing whitetails. So, um, hopefully there's a couple big bucks in my, in my feed coming up. Um, if not, I'm going to have a blast hunting. I'm just going to cover a bunch of miles and go really hard. And, and, uh, I know I'm going to see some deer and have some chances and some stocks. So I just couldn't be more excited and and hunting with family and friends is really going to be fun. Um, it's just a, it's a big part of, of what life and what hunting is all about is, is family and friends and caring for them and helping out and, and enjoying hanging out with them. So I'm just enjoying life to the full. It's just a ton of hunting time this season. Couldn't be any better for me on, on my end, but, uh, anyways, let me get this podcast out and ready to release while I'm gone muley hunting and, uh, I'm going to get my stuff packed up and get on the road here. So, uh, I'll check in with you guys when I get back. Um, Till then, keep working hard towards your goals and and good hunting out there, guys. Uh, We're finally getting some weather. Muley rut's kicking in. It's that uh, special time of year, that November. I mean, all these fall months are good, right? August, September, October. Now we're into November and the muley rut and getting cold. Um, Just so fun, so action-packed. So uh, we'll check in with you guys next week.